This is Film Tank. Tank, tank, tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You know, we're sitting here like a couple of regular fellas. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at or why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Ahoy, everyone, and welcome in to episode 204 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan. Per Aspera Film Tank. Okay. Wait. Say that again? Per Aspera Film Tank. What is per Aspera? Per Aspera means through hardship, Film Tank. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Like in this movie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yep. yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I liked your pirate named Yar. You know what's weird is my D and D group. Uh, not to get too nerdy here. Yeah. Uh, but oh, we just nerd. Yeah. We just switched over to a pirate themed campaign. Oh, so cool. I'm in a very nautical mood these days. Is it a Dungeons and Dragons campaign or is it? A I mean, it's campaign? a Dungeons and Dragons D20 system. Okay. But instead of focusing solely on fantastical adventures, there is an emphasis on naval ships and seafaring oh. shanties mm. abound. Oh, cool. Abound. Anyway, I it was just it. a weird coincidence. Indeed. Uh, I actually thought it was a little bit of a weird because I never know what I'm going to say, so yeah. I don't know where that came from. Well, you know what? I feel like it maybe came from, you know, within. Uh, maybe it's been waiting to get out. Yeah. Have we done a Pirates of the Caribbean movie yet? No, no, and that would be a nightmare. Not that we're never going to do it, but because Alex loves those movies. Yeah. Um. So, like, I would have to mentally prepare. Yeah. Unless we're just talking about, like, the first one. It would just be the first oh, one. Oh, okay. Right. But if you ever wanted to do, like, a franchise thing, uh, well, I guess not franchise, but, like, trilogy thing, uh, by the time I got to that third one, I How many are there at five now? Yes. Five, yeah. Oh, yeah. They never finished that second trilogy, did they? There was is it no a trilogy? second trilogy. Uh, no, like, was it, though? Like, as far as were they linked at all? Like, no. the post? Okay, I'm no, just the, the fourth one was about Blackbeard and had um, had uh, Ian McShane in it as the main oh, villain. yes. That's oh. right. And it was oh, directed by that guy who does musicals. The guy who, like, directed Kenny Chicago. Ortega? No. <laughs> I don't know why that's the um, first person I thought of, but okay. no, <laughs> the high school musical guy. The he had directed a few. I know who you're talking about. Um, yeah. uh, from Chicago, he yep. just did something that's musical. Kanye West? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> that would be a different movie. Going back again. Uh, but <sighs> anyways, that film. Uh, 
Yeah, there you go. Rob, Rob Marshall. Rob Marshall. There we go. Rob Brighton. Yeah, that's also not be a the different same movie. person. Yeah. Anyway, I knew it was Rob. Yeah. There we go. So that one came out, and I actually thought that was pretty good. Most people thought it was shit, but that's all right. The fourth Pirates. The fourth movie. Pirates okay. I thought was pretty good. Okay. And then the fifth one came out two years ago, I think. Mm hmm. Uh, and that was directed by two people, both of which no one had ever heard of really before. Mm-hmm. And that one was just uh, not incredible. It just was. It was clear that 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 that, that that's done. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So I got distracted. I'm looking at Please. the beer that I'm currently drinking, uh-huh. which is uh, you know what? I'm gonna give a shout out to a Chicago brewery, uh, Pipeworks. Uh, this is their premium Pilsner beer. I don't know if that's the name of it or if that's just them being extremely blunt about what you're drinking. Um, But on the uh, front, there is a sketch of two unicorns who are definitely giving each other fuck-me eyes. So I am sorry that I derailed this podcast, but it was evident and I did get lost in it. So looking at that, that, that can... So there are the two unicorns. Yeah, on the you know, one side. I was gonna, I, yeah. I was like looking at you, but now I'm looking at him. Now just I like... showed it to two sides. Okay, but but <sighs> okay, okay, fine. Though across, they're unicorns. Okay, they're horny by nature. Across mm. the other side of the river, there is another unicorn who clearly yeah. wants to get involved. True, because he's got his front leg up. Yeah, like here we go. He's ready to fly over that body of oh, water and man. make this a threesome. Okay, so, so now that we've gone through Pirates of the Caribbean yar. and unicorns, yeah. how about yes. we talk about what our film? Is? Um, we're not going to talk about our film right away, oh, though, we're because we're doing a weekend review. Oh, that's right. See, yes. if you want to pivot, at least pivot correctly to Okay, thought. well, let's talk about our weekend review. Okay, so getting this back on track here is uh, Toussaint is not so subtly hinting that we should do so. Uh, we are going to talk about the Brad Pitt film at Astra mm-hmm. coming up here uh, shortly. But as Nick mentioned, we are going to do a short little week in review, uh, a pretty much staple segment on this podcast that uh, has not been a staple here for a while. Yeah. yeah. There's no stapling to be found because we haven't done one in quite a while. Yeah. Nope. So, floor is open. All right. Who wants to go first? Do you want me to go <laughs> first? Like, do you want to go first? Yeah. I, okay. feel, I feel like when I said the floor is open and then you said, who wants to go first? I feel like that's the same thing. Do no, either of you want to go first? I want to go first. Okay. 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 Um, so, I have been watching a couple of films for class. So, I watched uh, His Girl Friday and The Front mm. Page. I was talking to... Oh, you actually uh, watched The Front Page? Yeah, I watched I haven't done that yet. I know. Yeah. It's... it's, it's um, I mean, I'm sure it's worthwhile. It is, if only to like see like those two works sort of juxtaposed because they're both pulling from the same, um, the the same source material, which is the nineteen twenty eight, um, like play by Ben Hecht and Charles MacArthur. I think that that's that's who it is. Um, it's close enough. Yeah, it's close enough. But Ben Hecht is like highly influential for you know being a Chicago beat reporter turned like Hollywood screenwriter who basically helped to create the urtext of of gangster films, the pre-code gangster films, and basically just one of the most influential screenwriters for creating the the popular the the pop culture image of 
Chicago as we know it. So that's for one of my classes, and I watched both of those, and I thought they were okay. Um, I actually just wrote my my reaction to both of those films, like because I had to write a reaction for oh, it, yeah. and I. The front page is very dated. It's very, very dated. Both films are very dated in the way that they sort of try to valorize a bygone era, a seemingly bygone era of newsprint journalism. And basically they're just like screwball comedies that have their own sort of like takes on them. One of them is like he was very close to the text, which is the front page itself named after the actual play. And then there's His Girl Friday, which has – I was going to say His Girl Friday almost – I wouldn't say separates itself, but – Elevates it into where you can enjoy it as a screwball comedy oh, I can, yeah. on its own yeah, without yeah. even getting into it. I think that there are some elements of it that sort of grate on me that make it a little bit harder to to watch simply for the fact that, you know, you have the front page, which like all those guys are just white, straight guys speaking in a constant transatlantic accent constantly riffing on jokes about like some woman giving birth to a in this is their verbatim words a colored woman giving birth to a pickaninny in the back of a police paddy wagon amid a a manhunt and yeah just a lot of like really crass crass shit and talking about like a guy who like had the tough luck of shooting a colored policeman in the one city where the color vote matters. This is all the front page, right? This is all okay. the front page. Because I haven't seen it. Because, because and, and, and I know... <laughs> and I don't uh, remember His Girl Friday. Yeah, but His it. Girl Friday has the exact same Does sort it? of, like, those okay. are the constants between yeah. all those two, and the, obviously those are ripped from, like, the original Ben Hecht play. And it just it's just kind of dated in that way. I enjoy, like, His Girl Friday more for the fact that it just introduces this... New dynamic for the fact that Hildy, um, the main character, is not male. They're, they casted Hildy as a woman. And so that opens up a whole different dynamic between her and Walter Burns, who is played by... Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Um, instead of this sort of like this weird sort of like codependent like work relationship, it's like a, a, a semi like like repartee. It's, a, it's supposed to be a playful like romantic relationship but actually it's sort of curdles towards the end into being like just kind of really fucking toxic for the fact that like by that by the standards of that time it wasn't toxic at all it was just expected it was coded to be be like this where you like you have like Cary Grant at one point uh telling Hildy that she is a a doll-faced hick like off 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 the cuff like it's just one of the many insults that he throws at her and then they end up getting fucking married at the end what the is that shit it was so it was it was it was it was really i i know it's i know it's play for comedy but it's yeah. just, it, it just i was gonna say the screwball is where the emphasis is yeah like as far as it's it's a it's a romance second but mm. it's a uh i would say look how look how crazy this is it's a, i would say it's a machine for very sharp barbs being right lobbed between yeah. the two of them so. yeah but yeah um not to dominate this, but I also watched the first three episodes of Succession oh. because I was, I, you know, I, I was like, you know, trolling through the internet and I reread uh, a couple of reviews of an episode of the second season of Succession called Volter. And <laughs> oh, I, actually, yeah. I actually went and watched that episode first because I was so interested in watching like the... Oh, the you probably would. You probably love the end of that episode. I right? mean, it's it's... 
accurate. It's, it's accurate. It's it's yeah. it's so it's so yeah. it's so accurate that it's like, yep, this is why I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So, um, and and that. What about so, the line, really quick? Of Kendall says about they just need adults in the room. They just need adults in the room. Like I know that that was something that was spun off from a a Deadspin article of the uh, the departing managing editor of that, and that was also one of the reasons I I, yeah. I read that article, and then I read the AV Club um, review review slash sort of conversation article where all the people were just like talking about it and hashing it out. And that was really fascinating. Um, and then I just decided to go to the first three episodes, and I really enjoyed them. Hell yeah. Um, it's a I, – I hate Roman. I hate the character mm. of Roman played by uh, Kieran Culkin. Now, you hate him because I, – I you... don't like him because he exemplifies just the most toxic – assholery of 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 the one percent the guy who literally Ooh. dangles a a one million dollar check in front of a a, a migrant yeah. boy and in order to basically spice up his family's little game and then rips it up in front of him then gives him a quarter of that check that he ripped up and as tells the him, as, who, as as the show has progressed on though he's one of the more sympathetic i was gonna say aesthetic his character hasn't necessarily <laughs> changed at all yeah but you can understand why he's fucked up i mean you can understand yeah. why all of them are yeah. and at the same let's time, just say other all. characters are making much worse choices oh, okay. uh, as the show is and it has a much larger impact on people as a whole and i i could see that completely ship roman and the other person that i will not spoil for uh tucson oh. uh but yes oh okay you completely what Sorry. ship yeah you know the you know oh alex you don't know what ship means you've been on the internet nick, for how long now nick you need to explain to him what ship okay. means well now that sounds fucking stupid if i have to explain it well, it's the yeah. fandom term for wanting two people to be together in a television or any other oh, media right. property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. ship them relationship. Like, so, like a relationship. Oh, yeah. that yeah. makes anyway, sense. Anyway, I ship. Yeah. And I say that half-jokingly because right. that's a fucking stupid concept. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but I also genuinely want any and every scene together between those two okay. people. And I, oh. I didn't know who you're talking yes. about. Yes. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Anyway, but you'll oh. see, because I, if I said it out loud, it would actually be a spoiler at this point, which okay. is what makes it so great. Okay, cool. But, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, Roman, Roman's a dick. I don't, I don't like him right yeah. now. Um, that one thing he did where he, he was appointed as COO after his dad, like, you know, had that aneurysm thing or whatever, yeah. and he immediately goes to his office and he does that thing mm-hmm. to the window. He jacks off. Yeah, he jacks off, and and I'm just like that. And then he tries to wipe it up, and I'm just like that is the most disgusting well, thing I've ever. I'll say this, not necessarily in defense, but technically speaking, the more you watch the show, Roman is, shall we say sexually dysfunctional. Uh, uh, there's more things that come to light, and in my opinion, there will be more things to come to light that we don't even Yeah, there's, know. there's like, whispers and There's mentions. something there that goes beyond, like, that act. Now, the ripping up the check act, like, mm-hmm. that is the, obviously, emblem, uh, emblematic of the 1% or whatever. Right. But his sexual dysfunction may or may not be stemming from actual abuse. I was going to uh, say, there are whispers may. in... Early parts of the series in the first season of him being sexually abused. Yes, mm. uh, and, and and it's kind of just kind of 
offhand. Uh, it's not offhand. It's just dismissed. As, as like a joke. As, oh, yes. Yes. And I think what's troubling is that the series never gets more concrete, and yet those quote-unquote joking accusations start to take more weight the more you see his actions. Mm. Well, the anyway. more you see things like in the second season, we have the bore on the floor episode yeah. where it's just all of this is just totally normal. Yep. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I yep. love Roman and I can understand why yep. anyone would hate I mean, Roman. I mean, I love Roman as a character to watch and there's you know, one dissect. character that got a laugh out of me. Uh, the first episode, Greg. uh, it wasn't just Greg. <sighs> Greg, Greg. yeah, Greg's the best. I, I'm already rooting for Greg because you know what? Like he's just. I'm the, sorry if that gone summoned you. He's the he's the audience surrogate. He's just he's, he's just trying for to. Now. Yeah, for now, yeah. But I, I really enjoyed the uh, the eldest brother. Uh, uh. Connor. Connor, yeah. Yes. Connor, when, when, he, when, he's, when he's talking to uh, the little girl, and he's like, yeah, it's like, so I have an aquifer, and that means all the water is underneath the ground. Yeah. And one day, water will be more, like, valuable than gold, and people will be killing each other and get the water. And it's like, okay, fine, fine. Okay, it's fine. But I have all the water, and when you need the water, I'll give you the water. And I'm just like... Wow, it's nice to to have that fear confirmed his, again. Uh, his, <laughs> his, in fiction, <laughs> his storyline uh, going into the second season and throughout the second season has been a little on the nose. Uh, yeah, but oh yeah, but, but it doesn't really matter because he's never an actual prominent figure in the no. family. Yeah, but he when just he, doesn't like want to be there. It's perfect for him. Oh, absolutely. Okay. But when he shows up, it is just like ah, uh, yeah. It just it's just tough. But I'm glad you're watching the show, Tucson. It's uh, Nick turned me on to it last year after – I think I brought up to you that I heard um, – because I, I don't you know, I don't get much in the television, but I had heard that there were pretty bad reviews early on for that. And you said, oh, quite the contrary. It's actually pretty good. And then I got into watching it, and I've enjoyed yeah. week to week watching this. Which it, I mean, that's – that's like a miracle for me to actually stick True. with the show Usually week to week. Usually you kind of do the like after, which I do for yeah. a lot of shows as well. There's but. a lot of shows that I start, that a lot of shows that I've started to rewatch that I sort of like dip off of. I mean, I still need to get back on Dead Deadwood yeah. eventually. Um, but, you know, it's like I'm going to try to like stick this out and see if, how as far as I'm going to go with it. And, you know, for right now I'm enjoying it. So yeah. that's my week in review. Wonderful. Right so before Nick, you or myself, yes, um, you said you had not watched the last episode of Succession Correct. yet, and you still have not. Still, oh Correct. man, I okay, yeah. okay. We'll uh, we'll we'll need to catch up on that we offline. Will. Yeah, at some point because I heard about one thing. Okay, which is the wonderful rap that occurs. Oh yes, oh yeah. So just um, a white person raps. In the latest episode of Secession, is so it, look forward to that. Is it like Al Pacino get a load of my chocolate blend levels oh, it's of Oh, it's much worse. Wow. <laughs> much worse. Wow, that's almost an achievement. Uh, just to just, uh, say nothing about it, but you've seen some of his actions, so I'll let you in on who it is. Uh, it is Kendall doing a rap for his father at his birthday party. And he's like, try, he's thinking and everybody he's, has a very normal reaction to it, which is pure horror. Mm -hmm. But uh, as oh, far as I know, Kendall, I'm sure I'm gonna goes, goes all in. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm gonna just be recoiling in my seat with absolute horror because those are the kind of scenes that, that just seems make like me Tucson make, make me want to die. Yeah. So, anyways, where I was going to uh, yeah, is that Kendall has a uh, single episode relationship with mm. a female. 
that comes to an abrupt ending at the end of the episode as he oh. decides he's no longer interested in her. Um, but she brings up, uh, she just flat out asks him, you know, you talk about your dad a lot. What's that all about? And it's like, none of these kids have ever gone to therapy. Like, they... Yeah, no, and <laughs> not only have they, but then they try it in the first season for a day. And I don't... it's wonderful. I, they do, but I, I guess what I'm saying but, well, they is don't that... Genuinely they don't genuinely try don't, it. They don't, but... they don't go, like, it's not getting through, no, no, obviously, no. because, like, just that one mention of that, he's like, oh, yeah, no. see you later, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was it was actually a really good episode. There have been some good ones this season. It's not been like incredible season of television, but I think it's been uh, agree to disagree. I'm sorry, what's that? I said agree to disagree. Okay. I genuinely think I haven't seen the latest one, but episodes three through the last one before this one okay. has been like a hot fucking streak. Okay. Uh, starting with Volter, which I thought was fantastic. Okay. Then the bomb threat episode, the retreat episode, and the uh, conference episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought those in a row was like the show at its peak for me. Okay. So. Yeah. So. Yes. You or me? You. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the three films that I uh, was wanting to talk about. I actually watched on my trip to Europe. Oh, uh, oh were they Euro trip? No, uh, no, uh, thank you. I were don't... they Europe themed? No, <laughs> no. I was on my trip to Europe, but they didn't have to be European themed. I don't. Well, s- sometimes when you go to Vegas, you watch Casino. Yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah. a president set, asshole. <laughs> Damn, that was a little more aggressive than I was sort of going for, but okay. I'm sorry. I think it's got hostile back there. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, one of them is Disney that I'm going to talk about, which we were on a Disney cruise while we were over in Europe. Ah. Uh, and then the other two uh, I watched when I was in a weird political mood on the uh, oh. airplane ride back home mm-hmm. and decided to watch these two films. So the first one is I sat down uh, in the little theater dealie they have on the Disney boat and watched the live-action Lion King. Wow. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Ah. How was that? It was not great. It's not live-action. Um, and Well, no, but it's uh, it's certainly something... It's not good, and I mean, you could look but at what it. is it? It's a film, okay, that is just not that good, okay. We've recently talked about the Lion King on this podcast, so I don't need to yeah it's it's the same exact story, yeah, uh, there are certain parts of it missing that don't really make sense to me. Uh, be prepared as a song is absent from the film. Real? Wait, yeah. really? Mm-hmm. But I listened to it on the soundtrack. Really? Yeah, like it's she like, would tell. It's like a slight. For it's a slightly it. different version. Oh, okay. Um, but the dance number and the feeling of that uh, is not present. Okay, in the I know film. this is get a dumb question. Okay, but just as a reaction to what you're saying, does she would tell Ija for like sing it? Yes. Okay. But not the exact same. It's just song. so that way, I was like, "Why would they record it if they?" Yes. Okay, I just it wanted is to not make sure. the same exact yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So that was a little weird, and that's a small portion of it. But just, I'm just so tired 
just so tired of the Disney re reshoots. <laughs> Sound like Lewin Davis. <sighs> so I kind of feel like that. I just want to pick up my cat and go. Mm. I I just like Aladdin was like almost broke me and then this was just the last straw like there's just nothing here whatsoever but you're still gonna go see maleficent if it hasn't already come out yet i'm not (laughs) that first maleficent was trash yeah i know Um, and this one looks worse yeah this feels like the alice in wonderland sequel so where like everyone flocked to go see alice in wonderland and then the sequel came out and it came and went yep aladdin was weirdly okay I thought it had good in moments. My opinion, at least. But. I thought Lion King had some good moments too. I mean, it's still the same story, which yeah, is yeah. for the most part pretty good. Um, I will say the one thing about the ending sequence is much superior than the original uh, animated film, as that like weird fight between Scar and Simba is just really awkward with the way that it's drawn. Yeah, that like where it gets weirdly slow motion yeah. for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and it just looks good here. It looks like the, you know, climactic portion of the Jungle Book where there's darkness and fire and rain and all that shit. So, you know it'd be fun? If Disney stopped doing reboots <laughs> of old films? Uh, yeah, that'd be really fun. And this. Yeah, this. Actually, I'm being sort of half tongue-in-cheek when I say this is fun. I'm not mm. entirely sure if this is fun. I think this would be interesting. Okay. Uh, what if DreamWorks did a live-action remake of Anastasia. I thought you were going to say Shrek. And I was going to say that's called Shrek the Musical. Yeah. <laughs> um, because as soon as you start like like mentioning like songs I mean, from Lion King, I think of In the Dark of the Night, speaking, Evil Will Find Her. Anastasia yeah. has been made before. Yeah. So it, it to Yeah, I mean, it, I believe it has. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure it has. Because mm-hmm. it's a story from real life slash from... Mm-hmm. Whatever. So, Anastasia in and of itself was bit. It's not like uh, the Lion King, where it's a quote unquote original mm. story, or in this case, adapted text. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, that's something that could very easily happen. It just wouldn't be a remake. It would just be this is a new Anastasia story. Yeah. It. But what if it was a remake of the <laughs> animated film? Well, um, I'm going to let you tackle that one. What if? You know what would also be kind of cool? Oh, okay. If there was an animated, no, a live action, if there was just a remake. I realized halfway, and I'm just like, wait a minute, it's both. And I was like, oh, no. What what if there was a a remake? Live action version of Super Mario Brothers. No, a remake. That's a great movie. Or continuation of the Page Master. Dude. Dude. That would suck, but I do what? like. Yeah, uh, I do like the original. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Forever, I like the original, but yeah. I. Cr got, got confused with the live action anime thing because right because there's yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah 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 no idea what you guys are talking about the page master with uh, Macaulay Culkin. He's a little boy. Hmm. He gets trapped in a library one day because. Thundering out. Thundering out. And, and he's he a scary loved, cat. He's a scaredy cat. Yeah, oh, is he a scaredy cat? But he cat. loves books. He loves books. He loves books. He and loves guess what? Books. He meets a librarian who's played by who? <gasps> Christopher Lloyd. Oh, my God. Oh, and shit. then, And then as soon as he meets him, he asks, do you have a library card? And it's like, I don't have a library card. And then he gives him a library card. And he just fucking gives it to and him. And he wanders around. Yeah. And then he's 
swept up into this weird ass fucking Bashian puddle. Oh, it's never ending story shit. Let it's, me tell you, it's terrifying. Actually, it's yeah. actually initially like the actual like ceiling starts melting and, and just like Tucson is him. burying the lead because he's a fucking cartoon after that. He's a fucking cartoon after that, and then he jumps in between like different stories. Like he goes to um. Uh, oh, we're slowing down here. He goes to Frankenstein World. He goes uh, to... Yeah, I don't remember the entire Wikipedia summary. Um, but... He goes to uh, <laughs> uh, Gulliver's Traveler World. He does, yeah. yeah. He meets three books that three... are literally the personifications. <laughs> the, the, the books are called, like, yes. uh, adventure, horror, and, and something fantasy. else. And fantasy. Yeah. yeah. And they're voiced by people like Patrick Stewart and two other people. I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so anyway, that movie fucking rules. Yeah, it's great. You should you should uh, rent it on VHS. Yeah. Okay. I will. Oh, I have that puppy case. Yeah, me I too. Have, oh yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay. Fucking yeah. jacked off in it. Um, I didn't go that far. I thought it was a great movie. I'm sorry. I thought we were on the same page. That's fine. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt somebody Hijack from. That, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I hijacked. We talked. We talked about a lot. So you were talking originally about having gone seen. Uh, no, we were watching. Uh. Li- live action Lion King and then two political films. Yes. So I've got nothing <laughs> but we really. We don't else. like to get political on this podcast. Never. Well, yes, we do. <laughs> Thanks, Tucson. Uh, not much else to say about Lion King other than I thought it was super mediocre and really leaning more towards not very good. Yeah. Uh, the two political films that I watched were uh, the Christian Bale led Dick Cheney film Vice, which oh, I yeah. finally uh, gave some time to. And also the Hugh Jackman film, The Front Runner. Yeah. Uh, so The Front Runner, I actually thought was pretty good. That was a film that did not do well at the box office last yeah. year. And really no one talked about it during its release. Or Is that directed by Jason Reitman? Yes. I think so, right? Yeah. And it's kind of weird because he's really fallen other than, I guess, going to do a Ghostbuster movies because nepotism. But yeah, we'll see anyway. if that uh, we'll see if that works out. There was I mean, a time nepotism. when I used to get excited for Jason Reitman movies. Yeah, Why? and that was a time before subtlety. Yeah, I no. mean he's done good work. Go back. What do you mean about uh, nepotism for Justin Reitman? Ivan Reitman, yeah, his father, the guy who made the original Ghostbuster. Oh. So Jason Reitman, who's literally been bobbing all over the place, gets uh. to make the new Ghostbuster oh. because the female Ghostbusters is female. I I don't know. Yeah, it's just fucking stupid. He's the one yeah. who then said, "I'm giving Ghostbusters back to the fans." Back mm. to the fans. Yes. I mean that cool. that was a guy who was on a roll. That's what I mean. He had "Thank You for Smoking," yep. "Juno," yep. and "Up in the Air," and in "Young a Adult." Year, in, a, in, a, in a four year stretch. Sorry, but that that is yep. the end of the streak. That is a great movie. And then he had Labor Day, yep. that <laughs> horrendous Josh Brolin, Kate Winslet. Movie. Yes, where yeah. And then that really awkward Men, Women, and Children, Children film. Yeah. Adam Sandler uh, Adam tried Sandler. to act, but yeah. without a good director. So. Yeah, so but I am excited for Uncut Gems. Shout out to A24. Oh my god, I'm so excited for that movie. Have you seen uh, Good Times? No, you really should. I want to. You would like it. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, okay. sorry. So, anyways, the front runner centers around uh, Hugh Jackman playing U.S. Senator Gary Hart uh, during the 1987 primaries, uh, as he was the obvious front runner, and then was. Huh. Undone by a uh, sex scandal that he had with uh, somebody 
He has sex with? Yes. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the only reason how it I was happens. L- the only reason I was a little tentative is because the film does a really nice job of showing him really never like getting caught in the act or anything like that. Just a lot of, I don't want to say circumstantial, but a lot of... Circumcision? Oh, God. You uh, just walked into that one. I knew that was going to happen. Okay. Uh, a lot of, there's just people gathering evidence who work for an actual newspaper, but at the same time are very tabloidy as they are literally outside in the bushes trying to catch him walking out with this young lady. Um, and at the same time, this is a really weird transition for the presidency and just politicians in general is now there's a much different media focus on holding people accountable for treating women like objects or is there well there was for a time a little bit i mean we just elected a person who was able to literally say that uh oh none of that matters Mm -hmm. that's how males behave yeah just elected him pretty sure gary hart was not accused of rape (laughs) uh no Anyways, uh, there are are very high highs during the film. High Uh, highs. Yes, uh, that I thought were quite good. Um, And I think this is definitely underrated, and I would uh, recommend it really to anybody who's a fan of political dramas. Um, There's also pretty good fucking casting in this film. Mm -hmm. Other than Hugh Jackman, who's pretty strong, you have Vera Farmiga, J.K. Simmons. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ivan Reitman, or Ivan, Jason Reitman, uh, Revolving Door. Yeah. Uh, but then other people show up like Alfred Molina um, and Kevin Pollack. Even Mike Judge plays a character oh, in really? this film uh, randomly. He's always fun when he pops up in his own films. So. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, a, it's just a good film that I think most people who like movies uh, and are interested in kind of political procedurals would uh, find interesting. And then the last film is Vice, which I did for sure enjoy, but I feel like I'm getting a little tired of that method that's being done right now um, by Adam McKay. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the sunset, he's he's done it twice now. I know. Um, so I get on. I mean. Did it work as well as it did in The Big Short? Absolutely not. No. But um, but I thought some of the gimmicks throughout this film were a, a little stupid. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, like the sort of false ending halfway through to show this is he went on to live a good and like the credits start rolling. I was just rolling my eyes at that shit. But yeah. uh, overall, as a movie, this was uh, an interesting look at Dick Cheney from that perspective and the perspective that I think most people have. Uh, again, we j- I just said that after the Gary Hart thing, yeah. and yeah, here we are. I would say the perspective most people have retroactively. And I know that there were there will be a bunch of liberals who will put up pitchforks and say, no, I've always had that, which is certainly true, but let's not pretend like... I, I don't know. The, the certain uptick in wokeness makes us more and better informed and we should not be afraid to admit that we learn things as we as time goes on yeah and you didn't always know everything from the very beginning like you could have hated dick cheney for obvious reasons and yet you still could find out more shit about him i i I just find this whole like 
oh, I hated him as much as you hate him now from the moment he was put into office. And it's like you Most barely people probably know, know who, Dick who Cheney he was. was. Yeah. And that was part of the whole story right. is that he was this guy who operated under the radar who actually made all the chess moves uh, behind the scenes. Um, so I thought another solid performance by Christian Bale, and I thought some other people here were, were good as well. Um, but again, some of the gimmicky things here in this film, I I didn't, I just didn't really yeah. love them. I yeah, thought no, they were sure. just kind of exhausted uh, at that point, and it just really just uh, like everything involving Jesse Plemons' character, I thought was just kind of stupid. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I, I mean, thought that one was Damon? fine. I'm sorry, Method Damon. Yeah. Um, I actually. Like that. Okay. Mostly for the payoff. I thought that was actually the only time when a gimmick was slightly, uh, I don't know, pointed in its, uh, I don't know, purpose, so to speak. But I, I agree with all the schlock gimmicks of the, the credits and the freeze frames and all that shit it was pretty stupid. Yeah. I especially hated the final fucking moments of the movie. Oh, the breaking fourth yeah. wall type thing. You yeah. all voted this in. You, where were yeah. you? And, like, that fucking shit is smug as hell. So I, yeah. I get weirdly defensive of this movie, considering mm. the fact that I actually think it's pretty much mediocre at best. Mm. Only because I read so many reviews where people were like, I don't need a movie to tell me that Dick Cheney is a monster. It's like, okay, that's great that you feel that way, but if the worst thing is that a movie can possibly convey to a generation and I'm not including myself but who were not old enough to even live through 9-11 who Dick Cheney is <laughs> like I don't think that's like should be well, right from existence a pretty large majority of this film is Dick Cheney pre-presidency true it's a lot of him operating with Donald Rumsfeld yeah also you know some of the early portion of his you know early 20s late teens where he was just clearly a boozing disaster yeah, and that we've already seen with like uh what's his name's w, w. Yeah. yeah um Oliver Stone. uh i i personally mostly enjoyed this in that kind of like second hour when i saw flashes where it could have been like the pop boiler 9-11 reaction film where it only really focused in on his abhorrent behavior of bureaucratic manipulation of the war in the Middle East. This film was very interesting, very interested, uh, and it's not like it spent the entire runtime focused on it, but is very interested in pointing out that he did not seem very concerned while 9-11 was happening. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And again, it's just a dick. And I hate the fact that my name rhymes with his. Hmm. Very well. So anyways, I watched those films and other ones when I was on my little European adventure. Is uh, Finding time for movies on long trips like that is uh, always something I try to do. Alex um, Diekman, Far From Home. Thank you. Oh, Spider-Man's back, by the way. Yeah, what? he's back, and I just posted <laughs> the uh, the conversation we had about yeah. Spider-Man, uh, quote-unquote, leaving. Were, you were so excited when they stuck it to Disney. So, well, I wasn't excited. I was just saying I genuinely think that that's a good thing if it held. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I said in the episode, no, I don't think that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm but I'm sorry, I'm not going to be like 
like apologetic for the idea that I think that could have been a good thing. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily for Tom Holland. Like I think he was a good Spider-Man. I think whatever, but no, I don't think Disney should be able to make every property. And here they are. So Nicholas. Oh, hi. You are still on this podcast. Oh, you still have not given your weekend review yet. Give your weekend review. Well, when I was just a little boy, just kidding. Um, I want to talk about three things. First thing is a TV show. The other two things are movies. So really quickly, uh, I want to give a shout out to the Purge television series. Mm. It is about to uh, debut its second season or later this month. I know. Tucson's getting me a very befuddled look. I thought that that was just a limited series. We all thought that. But you know what? I bet people thought the Purge was just an experiment. And then it became a daily routine. Not daily routine. <laughs> a daily routine. routine. Yeah, don't, every don't be out goddamn at, day. Don't be out at night. Every <laughs> every town is a sundown town for everyone, not just black people. It's just everybody. Oh, every boy. town's a sundown town. Uh, oh, we have fun here. Hmm. Um, uh, the Purge, uh, I'm talking specifically about the first season, which uh, pretty much aired about a year ago at this time uh, last year. And I'm finally catching up with it in anticipation of the second season. I want to, and I bring this up for two reasons. One, you love the purge. Uh, what? You love the purge. I like the purge ah. quite a bit, actually. In fact, the TV series is pretty much cementing all the goodwill that I had slightly built up from the films. Ooh. And I am now fully, <clears throat> excuse me, fully on the purge bandwagon as a piece of property. Um, it mean, is you've a, watched all the films up till this point. True, and now I watch the TV show. Yeah. It is in no way a perfect thing whatsoever, but I am genuinely fascinated by the mythos that has been built up in this universe. And the TV series so far has done a very good job of actually kind of looking at it slightly more in depth because obviously it's got 10 hours instead of, you know, 90 minutes. And um, the movies started to get a little bit repetitive, so then the TV show came at just the right point when they stopped doing the movies. I'm sure they'll do another one at some point, but they're at least indefinitely hiatuses. Um, and the TV series, the first season, takes place uh, across 10 episodes all on one purge night. So it's not a far cry from what the movies were portraying, but you definitely get a lot more lived-in moments of mm. like people and how they uh, go about on the night of. And we follow three or four disparate storylines that, spoiler, do connect by the end of the season, but definitely takes a long time. Like You really are following four or five different threads um, completely separate from each other for a very long while to actually kind of live in them. And there are various flashbacks to uh, earlier moments from their lives, so you do get a glimpse of what their lives were like before this fateful purge night and whatnot. But I really give the show credit for going all out, I would say, in fleshing out the way this political party, uh, the NFFA, the... The New Founders founders of America. New Founding Fathers. New Founding Fathers of America. And the the way... Well, but here's the thing. I've always had some questions about the movies, uh, mythos, and some of the claims that they make. And the show... It's almost as if they're just making it up as they go. Okay, well, maybe. But the show is at least reckoning with some of the claims that they made. For example, it was explicitly stated that something that was presented in the movies was an outright lie... Uh, for understandable reasons, which is that, um, as you know, they always said over and over that studies showed that crime rates go down 
uh, in if you do the purge, right? After they finally did the successful experiment, and the TV show does expose that that is a lie perpetrated by fake scientific research funded by the... And it's not saying that that's a revelatory, you know, twist or anything like that, but I like... Just an, an admission. Yeah, and I like that yeah. the TV show is at least fleshing this out, and it's getting slightly beyond its B-movie, uh, you know, trappings. And it's still very much in that vein of just kind of cheap violence and slightly hokey drama, but um, I don't know. I'm pretty much sold by it. And the second reason I bring it up is because I said this to you, Tucson, yep. when we went and saw the first Purge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not the, the first Purge, yeah, but the, the latest the, Purge. The fourth film in the series called The First Purge. Yes. Um, and I said this to you where mm-hmm. they had just announced that they were going to do the TV series. And mm-hmm. I said, man, I really hope that if they do a TV series that what I would really love is that you actually show me a TV series where you see what life is like on the 364 yes. days. Now, we didn't get that, obviously, right, oh, in the first season. Yeah. The second season, we are. Oh, the yes. The second season, yes. actually, the first episode is Purge Night for these completely new characters. Mm-hmm. And the other nine episodes are going to show you the fallout of what it's like to live. Oh. Under this government and under the uh, kind of gallows hanging acts of uh, a purge night that has both come but also is to come and whatnot. And I don't know. I'm just very fascinated by this little franchise that could that as much as like it is the antithesis, I would say, of something like Happy Death Day, which I love that first entry, Mm -hmm. like genuinely. But like that second movie pretty much backed itself into a corner to say like we have nowhere else to go mm-hmm. whereas the purge for all of its faults and whatever is at least saying well we can explore this and we can explore that and i don't know I'm... it really didn't have like the first purge movie the purge yeah didn't have any like lofty aspirations for it, it was really oh, just yeah it was really just a a a, a paper thin a paper thin pretense for a twist on a domestic on a, home on, invasion. On, a, on a domestic home invasion horror film. That's yep. all it was. And, and it had Ethan Hawke, which helped it. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, and then it just sort of like spun out of that and sort of um, dovetailed with the trajectory of our own political moment. It and did. sort of just like People say siphoned it's off cheap, of that. But I'm yeah. like, I, you know what? So is our fucking president. So, yeah. uh, you know, whatever. It works. And yeah. Who um, says we don't get political on here? And I will plug really quick that the fourth movie, The First Purge, uh, is a genuinely great movie. And it is actually much more of a closer successor to black exploitation films than the fucking new Shaft remake or the Superfly remake. True. And so it kind of blows my mind. That I haven't even are. seen like super f- the new Superfly or the new Shaft, but I can already like yeah. – like I having seen the film, I was like, yeah, it's yeah. it's got more in common so. with black exploitation than. You know. um, the other thing I want to mention really quick is I've recently watched the uh, two films by the director Arthur Marks, who is an exploitation filmmaker from back in the seventies, and boy howdy, he is clearly one of the. And I kind of mentioned this on Letterbox, so you can look at my profile there if you want more thoughts. <laughs> um, But he is definitely and clearly a forbearing influence on Quentin Tarantino. Like, Mm. I kind of stated, I'm like, if Tarantino outright steals from the likes of Sergio Corbucci or, um, you know, the Miko Kaiji vehicle films, whatever, it's, I think it's Arthur Marks that is his actual spiritual influence and the person he most aped for his style and uh, his overall uh, predilection for crime sagas and whatnot. Uh, I watched two of his films, one 
one is called The Roommates, and the other one is called Bonnie's Kids. <laughs> Both very different uh, in plot and whatnot. The Roommates is more of a carefree kind of hippie exploitation that ends up being a slasher by the end, but that's mm. also slightly on the back burner. Mm. But the camaraderie between the four female leads in that movie was weirdly refreshing for that era in a way that it genuinely reminded me of what he achieved in something like Death Proof uh, and where he had those uh, female characters uh, just going on and gabbing about whatever they wanted to talk about. In the same way, he let the male characters do in Reservoir Dogs, and that was kind of a long time coming and overdue. Um, but then you have something like Bonnie's Kids, which I just watched the most recently, and, like, there are so many scenes out of that that feel like they are ripped out of an Elmore Leonard novel as shot by Tarantino. It is a ragtag heist tale about two sisters who are kind of hiking cross-country because they killed their stepfather because he's a piece of shit who sexually abuses them. Mm. Uh, so they had this kind of, like, vengeful fury of someone like Beatrix the Bride, uh, who, like, were whoever they come in contact with, like, God help them because they don't take shit from anybody. But as they go on, they learn about this possible briefcase, uh, if that rings any Pulp Fiction bells, mm. uh, that mm. in this case uh, has or uh, hosts mafia money, and they'll do everything they can to try to get it. And there are scenes where that money and briefcase changes hands, and there's a bus terminal scene where different characters are not interacting but are present in the same uh, time and space and whatnot. And yeah, I just. Besides the fact that, obviously, I think uh, Tarantino loves Arthur Marks. In fact, Bonnie's Kids is called Bonnie's Kids, but Bonnie is a character you never see because uh, Bonnie is their mother who died before the film ever began, and that's probably where their trouble started because they lost their mother figure and were only at the vice and abuse of men. And I think there is actually a pointed reference in Pulp Fiction to call your segment the Bonnie situation yeah. and never show Bonnie... Uh, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, it was just one of the things where I just wasn't expecting that whatsoever. And um, like I said earlier, I, you know, I, he never, I think, outright steals from Arthur Marks in any way. But I'm definitely, uh, I'm getting more and more in tune with pretty much everything Tarantino has ever watched, and it's becoming fascinating. I think to see what he steals, what he apes, and what he kind of homages to. And I don't mean any one of those three as a pejorative. Like, I think he's his own, um, you know, filmmaker. Yeah. And But he certainly is more interested than probably any other living filmmaker uh, in continuing the legacy of the films he grew up on, you know. And Arthur Marks is definitely a staple of that, just based off the two films I've watched. We talked about it when we've done episodes on Tarantino films. We've done a few of them on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but that he is in such a weird spot where he is no doubt a mainstream filmmaker who is making films that are definitely not mainstream. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like... I He's do cut out a niche for himself. He has, and I kind of understand the, the idea that there is something to be said about, like, for example, like Django Unchained. I also... Uh, rewatch. Uh, re I also watched for the first time the original Django with Franco Nero, uh, oh. Sergio Corbucci film. Okay. And yeah, if you watch that, you kind of realize that Tarantino pretty much outright steal things from it, from the music cues to uh, iconic shots and whatnot. And um, he's so he's starting to 
I would say not become lessened in my mind, but he's starting to become a different figure. Whereas I I think of him less now as someone who uh, is a master filmmaker. Well, he is that in my opinion, at least. But I also am starting to see him as like a DJ who is able to put two records on the table, and people didn't realize how well black exploitation goes with this Sergio Corbucci long lost spaghetti western, you know, and it does. And so, while I I am slightly more gravitating these days to things like The Hateful Eight, which has its own share of influence and whatever, but certainly bears a more original mark, which I think is why a lot of people were turned off by it, <laughs> because he was able to pretty much go uh, for a while there on his own rambling and whatnot. Um, I, I don't know. It's what He's just becoming more and more fascinating, even when I find where he's getting his shit from. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Separate from Tarantino, though, Arthur Marks' films, at least the two I've seen, and I know he's been well-regarded in uh, cult exploitation circles for his other works, uh, he's a fantastic director, and I would definitely urge anyone to try one of his films, particularly the two that I mentioned, which were The Roommates and Bonnie's Kids. Wonderful. Well, if you out there uh, have any thoughts on any movies or TV shows or anything like that you've been watching recently... Uh, always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or try to find us. Uh, it won't be that hard to on Facebook, Twitter, Peek-a-boo. or kind of Instagram at Film Tank Show. There's not a lot of contact happening there. It's just images on Instagram. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you doing anything on Instagram? Not recently. Okay, because no. I haven't. <laughs> no. That's the one thing I just don't even touch. You can so. find us on Instagram, but like... I mean, we, we are there. We, we have a page. It's just old. Yeah. So We're here. Uh also, if you have any thoughts on the film we're going to chat a little bit about, you can always send them on to us, too. Uh, that movie, oh boy, Nick is going to make a post. Okay, that's better. That was live. Incredible. That is just, that is, you don't get that. You don't get, like, live, in-studio posting. It, wonderful. That's going on. Everything. You, you just don't get that yeah. uh, from podcasts too often, but here we are. Yeah. So in like six weeks, someone can listen to this and s- go back and look at that post then. Yeah. It'll be easy to find because it'll probably be the last one that we had. So that's good. Yeah. So the film we're talking about is the Brad Pitt-led space drama, which is Ad Astra, uh, a film that I was super psyched for. Uh, this year and had been interested in ever since sort of the storyline and uh, actual film was announced and the original trailer came out, I don't know, maybe like four months ago and I was super jacked after the trailer and went to go see the movie and here we are. So the film was directed by James Gray who's been doing... Um, he's been pretty active, I would say, in the last four to five years as he directed The Immigrant in 2013, uh, and then a few years ago directed The Lost City of Z, a film that Nick has seen. Yeah, I've seen both of those. Yep. Yep. I I remember you saying that you did not love The Lost City of Z. No, I thought it was very boring. Yep. And I try not to say that about movies because usually boring is a sign that it's not for you. Mm. Like, you can think something bad, but if you think something boring, whatever. Anyway... Uh, I remember watching that thinking, though, that I just don't give a shit about Indiana Jones-esque exploration films, you know. Mm. Uh, So I kind of actually remember thinking, if this was in space, I'd like it more. (laughs) 
I was challenged. <laughs> James Gray also probably he led led Joaquin Phoenix into his uh, Renaissance. I was gonna say he at least led him whatever into delving into like, his trying to change his his image the, in the some wa- way. The Wakanaissance. You boy. Because Joaquin Phoenix did two films with him uh, back-to-back in 2007 and 2008 with We Own the Night and Two Lovers. Uh, And, yeah. So, James Gray, definitely not necessarily a bad filmmaker. He's made a lot of films that people have given good ratings to and good scores over time. Uh, And he directed this film, which, in addition to Brad Pitt, has Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Nega, also Donald Sutherland. Did I say that wrong? I'm no, sorry. No. It's just that's a very dangerous name. Yeah. For white yeah. people. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's the one time. You I'm pronounced it you re- you pronounced it correctly. You didn't I, I just I had you a, didn't do anything wrong. I okay. had a flashback to the line in Pop Star with Oh, you went with a hard R. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so in addition to her, uh, who will not be named or just called Ruth from now on, yeah. Uh, also, Donald Sutherland is here, and then a bunch of character actors that people have probably seen here or there. Although Liv Tyler does get like forty seconds of screen time in this, and no dialogue, no, <laughs> barely no. dialogue. The well, one yeah. actress from Russian Doll and Natasha uh, Leone. Yep. Mm, oh yes, talk about even less screen time. Yeah, yeah, it's but very, at least she makes an impression. Yeah, it's yeah. a very interesting story about how she uh, got that cameo role, which we will talk about later in this episode. Boom! Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So, astronaut Roy McBride undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system as he tries to uncover the truth surrounding his missing father and the Doom expedition that now, thirty years later, threatens. The universe. Father, always you look over me. (laughs) Wow. That was good. That was good. Thank you. Thank you for that. I wasn't expecting a a Tree of Life reference. But you know what? Brad Pitt vehicle. It's actually uh, uh, very apt to... uh, to to, It's apt, Astra. ...to cite (laughs) that film uh, concerning uh, what this film is actually about. Yeah, I've got thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I will take the baton. Please. First. Okay. Uh, you Fucking go. Nobody else wants Fucking to go first. Fucking go. Uh, I was super jacked for this movie, as uh, there are not many films left this year that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but this was definitely one of them. Uh, I went to go see this the first night. It was uh, in theaters. And actually, I went with my wife. Uh, we had a little date night to Aww. go see this. My wife. My wife. Had a dead night. That's fine. No more no more Borat references on this episode, at least. Not until our Borat episode. Ooh. Do a double episode of Borat and Bruno. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now. That's Draw gonna, the line. That's not going to happen. Draw the line there. That's you, not going to happen to me. Okay, let's, let's put it this way. Have you at least seen Bruno? No. Oh. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I loved it when it came out. I'd probably be embarrassed to watch it now. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 what I've heard. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's not great. I don't think 
either one of those quote-unquote gimmicks are entirely without value. Sure. Uh, but certainly you can get in two minutes what he puts into 100 minutes. Anyway. Right, right. <laughs> so we went and went and saw Ad Astra. Uh, and I was very excited to uh, spend time in the theater to see it. And I will say, I don't feel like I was disappointed with this film, even if it wasn't as good as I was hoping it was going to be, in my opinion. I think this is a movie that is wanting to tell a very specific story. Uh, and in my opinion, unfortunately, spends too much time on that very specific plot point throughout the entirety of the film while missing out on the extraordinary universe this film creates without even trying, it seems. Um, because it, it, to me, the best parts of this film are the universe that is in the backdrop, that is the backdrop for the story that is happening in this film that is almost like... Uh, a, a, a no thought of they just created this because we need to have a backdrop for this story. We can't set it in modern times because we can't go to Saturn. So we'll make it a different kind of universe. And here's these interesting parts of it. Um, but those aren't really a story here. And uh, to me, I understand why the filmmaker would, would do that. And I understand what story that he wanted to tell. Um, and I understand also, too, obviously, the character that Brad Pitt wanted to play, apparently, in this film. But to me, the first hour and 15 minutes of this film are by far the best part of it. Everything concerning him on Earth, uh, him going to the moon, everything about that scene on the moon, which is absolutely fantastic, I thought. Uh, we see that sort of alternate universe where there is just a like modern city on the moon there are no fucking rules on the moon there are just pirates and uh lawless people who are going out to try to kill people and no one can stop them no one has any jurisdiction over on them it's literally the fucking wild west on the moon you know what that kind of reminded me of like as soon as he landed on the moon it reminded me of uh the episode of futurama where they go to the moon and then like fry goes through the whole like um like the history of like how they actually got on the moon is like there's whalers on the moon, <laughs> there's whalers on the moon. It's it feels like that bullshit where it's just like all the wonder and all of the like like aspiration has just been soaked out of it, and now it's been replaced by a fucking Applebee's. Yep, there's an Applebee's on the moon. That's about right. Yep. Yep. Uh, early on too, but you can't beat their appetizer combo. Uh. Early on, especially with some of the uh, some of the testing that, and some of the uh, God, what's the term for it again? Sorry, the psych evaluation yes. uh, that Brad Pitt is continuously going through throughout yes. this. Um, Thank I, God we have that; otherwise, we wouldn't know where his head's at. <laughs> yeah, it's not like he has like uh, a. I'm starting already. Like a monologue. Uh, I was definitely getting, uh, actually from his character, especially early on in this film, I was definitely getting a like big time Ryan Gosling vibe, uh, from Blade Runner 24. Yeah. Yeah. But he never talks and now I understand why. Yeah. No. Uh, at any rate. Yeah. But no, you're right in that, uh, with him at least to do the whole human check or Mm -hmm. non-human check. Imagine if, if, well. 
depends on. Imagine if K from Blade Runner 2049 had a monologue, like that one bad cut of Blade Runner where they forced like Harrison Ford to do like a like a monologue. He'd be so fucking annoying. Yeah. I couldn't stand K if he did that. Yeah. So anyway, continue. So, uh, I really enjoyed early portion of this film. Everything I thought with Donald Sutherland was really good, as he's just kind of this old, seriously in the grave, pretty much, character who's wanting to try to find Tommy Lee Jones, but at the same time knows he's never going to make it all the way to Neptune. Uh, so he just kind of is along for the ride with Brad Pitt until he's uh, having a near-death experience, and then he can kind of give him the information that he could have given him years ago, but we need this plot to move. So, uh, But everything on Mars, um, everything that happens on the moon, as I already mentioned, and sort of everything that the action moves with in the early parts of this film, I thought was pretty fascinating. Uh, I loved a lot of the... Uh, I guess what the best term is it? I, I, I liked a lot of what the idea of like the stakes that hang in the balance for Brad Pitt's character early on. Uh, as he's given this sort of secretive mission where he's told, well, you need to do this. You can't tell anybody about it, um, but you're always on this mission no matter what happens. So there are a lot of events that happen, like him being taken away from the mission and him being told, you're not on the mission anymore. You need to go in this room and we'll take you back to Earth that when is a we feel like it. good line, by the way, when What's they that? do take him off and they say, your personal connection is uh, jeopardizing the mission. It's like, well, your personal connection is the only reason why there is a mission. I was going to say, it's the mission. <laughs> yeah, right. and it's the only reason why you have any progress now. But it is very, very 21st century business risk management type of your we want to have as much control and be as be as safe as we possibly can so you are off because you could fuck this up uh everything i will say after he sends off and kills his fellow crew members which is really not hit on after that which is kind of bizarre um but he didn't try to kill him oh Okay, that doesn't mean he didn't. <laughs> I mean, in a court of law, I know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's like violence just follows him everywhere he goes, like everywhere, even in space. Yeah, but at the same time, he also saves the universe in a way because he stops Tommy Lee Jones from doing whatever he was doing that apparently was going to end civilization as we know it. Yeah. Everything then with Tommy Lee Jones, I was just not super into. And, uh, and you know, uh, it, it's the, the biggest parts of the film. So maybe I'm, I'm a bad person for not really loving it. But mm. uh, I thought it was just kind of boring. And it just decided to trade in the idea of this very interesting alternate universe that we are watching for this really just kind of run-of-the-mill conversation between Pa and his son on the Neptune system, and I haven't talked to you in 30 years, I never cared about you, and, like, 
Tommy Lee Jones is way too coherent to have been sitting by himself for the last 30 years on yeah, a spaceship. We, we learned in Armageddon that space madness <laughs> is a thing. And the idea that Tommy Lee Jones hasn't succumbed to this uh, is frankly baffling. He's way too well put together to have been sitting there by himself for 30 years. One of these days, know, really man. quickly, uh, the three of us have to watch Armageddon with the Ben Affleck commentary. Okay. Because okay. it's genuinely one of the best things ever Done. recorded. Okay. Okay. Sold. Just saying. No yeah. problem. I will. Oh, no, I have it. I have the criterion. <laughs> yeah, okay. We can we can do that. All right. Cool. <laughs> Let's do that. So those are pretty much all my initial thoughts. I thought this was actually really good, um, but but the uh, ending portion of this film I thought left a little bit to be desired. Okay, Tucson. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I went to go see this. I didn't really have any high expectations for. It. I mean, I had seen trailers for it. I didn't entirely understand what it was about, but I had heard enough positive buzz that I was more inclined to just sort of, you know, just like go see it, and. Um, I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. Um, so far as this uh, being a, a space adventure film, it's not that. And as much as I think that some of the broad strokes of this universe are very interesting in the implication of like what does a colonized inner solar system look like, from a very plausible sort of like matter of fact perspective. I mean, like the moon is right fucking there. Of course, Read that's going to be the first the expanse. I mean, I've, I'm, I've watched the expanse and I love the expanse. Um, but in this case, I thought that it's very interesting. Um, but it is entirely not the point of this film It's like, really, it's just watching this guy go through a, a midlife crisis, um, figuring out that he's basically, been pursuing a line of work in order to like get closer to his father and realizing at the same time he both like misses and hates his father it just so happens he's an astronaut and um basically going to the end of the universe in order to sort of like find closure with his father and also prevent him from doing something that uh could result in the end of the human species but even that is like like that is not really what is driving like Brad Pitt's character to finally get there and like do what he needs to do. I actually really enjoyed the uh the interaction between Tommy Lee Jones and Brad Pitt in that. Cool. Just because um although he doesn't have space madness or anything like that, it just it 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 feels like that rings true for the fact that he has been alone the only live person on that station for so long and that he's been so divorced from human contact that he has just no pretense for any type of like humility humility platitude um just just general like social social intelligence whatsoever all of those attributes have atrophied and they've all been sort of focused on his work and that he's able to just look at his son, who he has not seen in over 30 years, who is now a grown man, and that he's able to look him in the cold light of, of space and be like, oh, you're here? I never really even thought about you. And you're expecting like Brad Pitt's character to blow up at that. But really, he's just like, no, I already knew that long before I even got here. I just needed to just I, – I needed to be here. And to know that I try to bring you back. Yep. It's not even about like a matter of like 
closing reconciliation. reconciliation or anything like that. It's like I need to just know that I did try to do that because he's like wrestling with all these different sort of emotions about his dad where he's talking about how um, like he basically does not have any children. He doesn't have like he already broke up with his partner, his partner, his significant other because of the fact that his father orphaned him and widowed his 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 wife his mother and he just didn't want to do that to somebody else because of the fact of he him like pursuing this line of work and then also understanding on a deeper level is like no it's not even it, there is that but there also is this sort of like brewing animosity and contempt and aloofness that he is sort of inherited from his father and that he is trying to wrestle with and trying to like find a a peace with that and, and, and peace within himself and with other people. And the only way, like one of the only ways for him to actually be able to reconcile that within himself is to actually sort of like go to the source of that, which is his own father yeah. and just try. And in a way I would say really quick that the, like him cordoning off his own existence from mm. his ex-wife and right. whatnot is exactly what he doesn't want to be. And he doesn't no. realize that that's what's more influencing mm -hmm. uh, his father's influence than he because re he thinks he's doing a good thing by not doing that. When in reality, that's probably the biggest uh, DNA within right. him of just saying, like, no, this doesn't matter to me enough to fight for or anything yeah. like that. And, you know, I, I didn't mind uh, Brad's monologue throughout this. I thought that his acting throughout the film was pretty well as I think he really expressed and communicated um, like the character's mood through just like these the tiniest little intonations like the way that his eyes look the way like I, I, I think that he carried a lot um, of the sort of emotional weight of this film through just like his simple facial gestures this is a pretty I don't want to say this is like anything like a passion project or anything like that, but this is definitely a Brad Pitt driven film. Yeah, this, this is, I mean, by his production company, yeah. like uh, he's definitely plan me. <laughs> he's definitely very much involved in yeah. a lot of different aspects of the actual film that I really happened. So. Wish now a voice would say that in the same voice I just did every time his production company. sounds like the old Yahoo voice. Yeah, <laughs> Plan B. Um. <laughs> When they're on the moon and they're going through the space chase, as uh, ridiculous as that fucking sounds, yeah. uh, that was fantastic. I remember that one of my one of the lines that I actually did enjoy heavily about the... influenced, by the way, uh, from Doris Wisham's "Nude on the Moon," <laughs> the nudie cutie from the sixties. <laughs> Thank you for that, Nick. You're welcome. Um, so there's a line that Brad Pitt has where he's just like, "Oh, here we go again," just like fighting over resources, and he's like, "Why the." fuck am I even here? It's like, he's, he's so over this shit. He's so over this shit that he can be on the moon <laughs> during a high speed chase. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. Well, clearly also no one else is able to like, that's the other, one of the other things that are a little over the top with his character in terms of hammering it home to the audience. But he is able to like, almost have a superpower to like keep his shit together. I mean, the idea of him just taking over that rover and getting it into where they need to be taking over and landing that, uh, space vehicle on mm -hmm. Mars. I mean, 
just any situation whatsoever, he's like, no, I got this. It might be some mildly sociopathic tendencies. I don't know. I well, mean, yeah. Death seems to follow him around all the time. I mean, it's not like he tries to incite it, though. It just sort of fucking happens, like with the fucking space baboons. Uh, how would, how, what did you think about the space monkeys? I thought that was a one of it was a very. I thought that was fucking ridiculous at first, and I was just like, um, it was it was it was. The more I think about it, it's like yeah, I, I could see that happening. As, as, the, as the film progressed, uh, it, it actually to me like I, I know where they came from uh, in terms of they were being created on on this this uh, space vehicle, but at the same time. Uh, for what this film is trying to say and the message that it has at the very end of it, and not just in everything happening with Brad Pitt, but also the message with the father uh, and everything with looking for life outside, um, that just didn't make sense. That whole scene was just kind of bizarre. How so? Oh, I was just going to say because uh, it's like my very like first gut reaction to when the space band baboon showed up is yeah. like, holy shit, here's an omission that... There is people, life, and crazy shit happening outside of Earth, and here it is. Um, obviously, didn't end up being that, but I it was didn't just di- space war with space moons. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, I have some thoughts about that. We'll talk about we're, we'll get to you soon. We're <laughs> okay. also too only a couple years removed from the movie Life, which I thought was just terrible. Um, and any sort of was that the one with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds? Oh, Ryan Reynolds. It was a secret Venom prequel. It, but it wasn't. That was the fan theory surrounding uh, okay. it. Okay, because no, everything's ever. connected. Yeah, everything but, has to be connected. But th- this just did never felt like a spaceship with a uh, xenomorph on the loose type stand-in thing going on. Um, and uh, I didn't need create creatures in space and it, it it doesn't really go it goes on for like 30 seconds but yeah. at the same time i'll say two yeah. things really quick just uh-huh. about space baboons um <laughs> one the reason why that scene didn't particularly work for me was that that was such a external force on what's a pretty internal movie you know it's a it's, it's about him and his relationship with his father and how that manifests in his journey and whatnot so um whenever something like that and that's really one of the only things but crops up, which is extremely out of his control and literally nature. It just it bored me. Is there something you want to add? To no. That? Okay, because you're smiling, so it seems like there's something. Nope. Okay. The second thing I was going to say, however, as, as I say that, I do. I would be remiss if I didn't point out the reason why it worked for me on just on paper is that neither one of you have said yet, but you do rem- i found it to be a tongue in cheek joke because we did send monkeys into fucking space i know no, i know you guys know that yeah. but we haven't said it yet so i did like that as a manifestation of like what started as a pure and innocent project i e going into space mm-hmm will end up being possibly the downfall and the splintering of the human race in and of itself, whether it's these interpersonal relationships or it's fucking <laughs> space baboons where, yeah, they're no longer fucking Dunstan checking into the moon. It's now fucking horrifying. So yeah. um, as a kind of tongue-in-cheek joke, I enjoyed it, but uh, as a set piece, it wasn't necessarily that enthralling. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird to read that as a tongue-in-cheek joke. I'm not disagreeing I don't with think you. it was necessarily that intentional as a tongue-in-cheek right. joke, but I do think there's something there in the lineage yeah. because I've always thought when I watched this movie yeah. 
that there was something in the nostalgia of the way space travel is presented. Even if you're seeing a futuristic view of it, right. it is firmly rooted in iconography of NASA and a very, shall we say, laser-focused and myopic view of space travel, yeah. which is you start on Earth, <laughs> you go to the moon, then you go, you know, wherever. Whereas if it's not a Star you Wars, just move down where line. you get to like go yeah. into a ship and go wherever the fuck. I was gonna you say are. there's no this there's still no hyperspace rooted. where no. you can travel anywhere. In this is minutes. rooted in the American lineage right. of space travel, right. space colonialism. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, it's 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 primed initially as space horror, then it turns to space baboons, and then afterwards, I was like, hey, remember those space baboons? That was kind of fucked up. Yeah. Uh, I will say one of the things I did absolutely love in the early portion of the film is my favorite fart part of the film. Favorite fart, goddammit. Favorite part. <laughs> favorite part of the film because. Uh, what, the, Tucson? Nothing. I, I'll fight you. Whatever. I love. I'll win. Love. Ooh, didn't fight words. I just I, said I'd fight you. I didn't say I'd win. Okay. <laughs> I love the idea of uh, a trip to the moon being turned into just a regular old flight. Uh, the idea of like even the stewardess handing out a hot towel as they're about to have the meal before they arrive. You got to pay how, yeah, I was how say, much? One hundred twenty-five dollars for, a, fuck... for yeah. a pillow and blanket. Yeah. yeah, which is actually pretty much that's current day shit. Fuck that. Not literally, but pretty much. Yeah. Um, Any amenities that you would think should basically be you know, courtesy to you because you're on a fucking machine that may crash at any second. I think you can afford to give your passengers. How about the idea too of uh, Brad Pitt's character having to travel commercial to get to the moon to allay suspicion um, when this you know seems like this has got to be the most secretive organization well, there is. So here's I'm... my question. Um, because I didn't hear every line because it was sometimes a quiet movie. Yes. Um, and I am hearing impaired. Um, was it explicitly mentioned that there was anything other than commercial? I mean, I know there would obviously be like NASA or something like that, but in general, wouldn't that be the only real way? There for is him a, to there travel? is a line of dialogue that says that to try to have this okay. not become a fear that we're sending somebody on a mission, which you, makes sense. Yes, you okay. Need that's to why I wanted to commercial. make sure, just because I could see that being the case. I just yeah. wanted to make sure, so. Okay, but it uh, it does lead to some of the better parts of the film, in my opinion. But at the same time, it also gives uh, the audience a glimpse into what this real world truly is, and not just if you are a NASA pilot or whatever, or if you also work on this extraordinarily enormous scaffolding they have that goes from the Earth's surface up into space that you could actually fall from and fall through Earth's atmosphere onto the ground, yeah. which I actually thought that whole sequence was fascinating because that I've never seen anything like that. The only thing I could think of when I saw that sequence is, uh, sequence is what would Neil deGrasse Tyson say? Ha! Oh, I don't care. Neither do I. That yeah. was, uh, actually, sadly, I did think that, but in a mocking yeah. uh, internal monologue yeah. tone. Um, uh, should I really quickly say some opening thoughts? Please, for yeah. myself. Please, I, yeah. No, no, I... We're leading up to this. Unfortunately, I... This film did not work for me. I don't really dislike it. It was crap Astra. So, ah, oh, you. Uh, bad Astra is right there for wow. you, though. Hmm. Um, I, it, I left the theater basically liking it, the bare minimum, and now I'm a few days removed, and I just... 
it's been a while <laughs> since I've seen a space movie where I where I haven't really given it a second thought after I saw it. You know, I feel like if you're gonna set your movie in space, there's almost an obligation to have a grandeur to it that I just think this movie lacked. Even if I don't, even if I would concede that it certainly attempted, and I can understand why it did work for others. Um, I thought that. A few things sunk this film. Um, first of all, I th- actually think Brad Pitt was miscast. I don't think he gave a bad performance necessarily, and I really like Brad Pitt. Um, but I think two things. One, that it's unfortunate timing that I think that this and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood reminded most of America, I think, of what we love about Brad Pitt. Yeah. And I think... Ad Astra reminds us why he doesn't step outside of his range more often, Mm. which is to say that I don't think he in any way sinks this film, uh, so to speak, and that he's given a bad performance. But every time he was emoting, so to speak, uh, or giving us some of those whisper narrations, I was thinking that this was slightly um, out of his grasp from my perspective. Um, Another thing is, for me personally, this film did coincide with uh, another space film that I saw in 2019, which was a Swedish film called Aniara, um, which wonderfully portrayed a kind of capitalist society that would start to actually exist in space and the way uh, people would kind of gravitate toward that economy. <laughs> uh, you know, be pulled toward that economy and the way that uh life would go on living and it's almost like nothing's changed even if even if it looks like you know fucking apple designed it you know and and i kind of appreciated that so because like alex said that that aspect of this movie is slightly backgrounded uh, and not quite touched upon uh that part i felt slightly lacking and then if we go in finally to the actual emotional crux of this film i thought the father-son dynamic was mostly lacking because of a convergence of things that just didn't quite work for me, whether it was Brad Pitt's performance or also the god-awful narration. I'm sorry, it just didn't work for me. That's fine. Um, because I can I've, totally see how that would not work. It was. Just... I was going to say, it's not so much that I think it's... I, I call it god-awful, whatever. I'm hyperbolic. Um, it's not so much that I think it was such a bad swing and a miss. It's just because... The moment it happened and kept going, I never got on that train, and the train never came back to the station for me personally, so I couldn't get back on. And if I hear the character having to say things like, oh, the sins of the father were passed on to the son. Father. Um, I, you know, like... Step on the dinosaur. (laughs) It's just one of those things where it's like, oh, because it's so committed to it, I... It kept me at an arm's length. Um, I actually agree with Toussaint in that I loved the confrontation, and that implies more hostility than there actually was. Right, right. But the actual scene of them inside the spaceship, um, I thought that that was a level of level-headedness, I guess I would say, that I was not expecting, but yet made total organic sense, and I absolutely ate up both performances, and I loved uh, what was happening between them and the scripting. I think the film ruined it the moment they got out, 
And I said this to Alex, I'm like, what worked in Goodwill Hunting in 1999 does not quite work in 2019, because for Tommy Lee Jones to be literally tethered to him and have to say, you gotta let go, 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 you gotta let go. I know that was really annoying for me to say ten times, but he it says more it annoying more. To hear from him in the movie. <laughs> I was gonna say he says it more times than I just did, um, and I was like, there we're back onto you know Alfonso Cuarón's gravity levels of just fucking overbearing symbolism and I, and all the goodwill that I had for their final confrontation was slightly airlocked. Uh, Oh, airlocked. Excuse me. Another space. I know, term, man. This guy. Uh, airlocked out the window for me. So I'll say this. Overall, I don't regret watching it, and I can see why anybody would like it because there is a potent message here between uh, this father and son relationship, and maybe it's because I don't have a bone to pick with my own father. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where it's like I don't have a personal thing, so there – I mean, well – I have a bone to pick in the same way that any male who, right. who's a son right. of a father has, right. you know? but I don't right. have a specific one, right. Right. Um, which a lot of people could have. Right. So because I don't have that personal you journey. You went to space and became an evil dictator. <laughs> no. <laughs> what did, no. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey. <laughs> oh. Um, so because I don't have that personal attachment to it, like if I did, I could actually understand why that would even supersede any of the inner workings of this. But because I didn't, it just didn't work for me. I personally just thought that Apocalypse Space Daddy was a mediocre movie at best. Okay. And I pretty much agree with anyone who's raving about it as to what it had to offer. I just didn't offer it to me. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I will say I had a little hard time with the ending with Tommy Lee Jones floating away because I am, unfortunately, someone who saw Space Cowboys. So <laughs> At uh, least that made sense. Yeah, but at the same time, like him floating away and like the image of Tommy Lee Jones on the moon at the end of Space Cowboys was just a little too close for me. It's a good movie. Oh, boy, it was Wild Hogs I in watched Space. It, yeah, but no... <laughs> Don't make me defend Clint Eastwood, you prick. You hate to be here. I also rewatched The Mule when I was on my trip to London. So. Oh, man. I will always be grateful for The Mule for giving us the John Mulaney, Pete Davidson uh, review of <laughs> The Mule, which is great. If anyone hasn't looked it up, look it up on SNL. Yeah, that movie in general is just not that super... Are you kidding me? The mule, man? Like, to get to 90 years old and have two threesomes? Like, I'm feeling good about my life. I'm only 40. <laughs> I have so much to live for. <laughs> anyway. Wow. Um, so, yeah. I, I uh, touched on it a little bit early on, and maybe I'm the only person who is even thinking about this. Um, but I do find that this film... Uh, hits a very interesting note that I don't necessarily think is the sole purpose because I think what everyone's already hitting on, which is the relationship between Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones, is the main draw in the uh, finale of this film and throughout the entirety of it. But I do love the idea of Tommy Lee Jones basically making it his life's work to prove something and then having to have somebody just sit him down and say, nope. You already did. It's Yeah, I was going to say, you, already did. you were wrong, and that doesn't mean that you didn't prove something. Like, you 
made it to fucking Neptune, yeah. and you went. It's to... just us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that aspect of the film goes a little bit under the radar at the very end. I'd agree, and I, I think that it's one of the more interesting aspects of it because there are not many properties out there that will pretty much take a side and plant a flag. <laughs> uh, on this idea that there is a definitive decision that has been made on if there is life in the galaxy other than just us. I mean, if you look at all kinds of different places, whether it's religion or, I mean, the, the, there's so many different avenues of culture and just people and just generations and history the this idea of there being spirits or other beings or whatever like but no one there, there's a definitive answer in this film well there's a definitive answer and it just goes out of its way to try to rule things out saying we fucking went as far as we could really go and it's just space yeah um, it's just but space. the flip side of that coin and something i actually did like about the movie was mm-hmm. that in that final act and whatnot that the movie does give credence to the fact that, almost in a sympathetic light, that that it's not a non-worthwhile journey. No, no, no. Right, right, right. It, it is. You're right. And so the way he says that, though, when he frames it, that it's um, something where it's like, just because you didn't get what you set out to do doesn't mean that you there didn't was... accomplish it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was obviously his fatal flaw in yeah. both his uh, relationship with his son and family and also with his work, because... He never thought that what he had was something to actually take back to humanity and share with them. Yeah. Which you can't just bring back nothing. You didn't just bring back nothing. You also yeah. brought back some pretty pictures. But I also think it makes the his actions from Neptune very interesting, as in the grand scheme of things. I mean, he almost gives this wizard from Wizard of Oz type vibe when people on Earth are talking about all these pulses that are coming from outer space and... He's almost now this man behind the curtain who's, look, there are aliens. Yeah, I, yeah, I've been trying to stop that shit. I'm trying to, trying to <laughs> yeah. Some of my crew members went crazy and they, uh, you know, yeah. they fucked it up. And now I'm trying to, like, unfuck it. Like so. father, like son. Because let me tell you something really mm. quick. We should talk about something that I think is going under the radar, which is that Brad Pitt's character is a horrible person. Because in my opinion, I'm, 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 I'm kind of with you. He straight up murders that entire yep. crew. Mm-hmm. He did not try to murder that. Crew. Oh. Okay, just because he did Son. not. He okay, did. so here's the he thing. He didn't have a gun. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Uh, two things. One, uh, something I did unfortunately find comically laughable was just the image of a space person literally apparently able to just get into a spaceship. Like people are just allowed to. Like, that just seems like a fucking security breach, if anything. But anyway, I will say, he's allowed to do that, which, oh, okay, whatever. Okay, okay, I will. I, he's obviously not allowed to, although he does. He is, of, of Okay. That, of, of, why oh. does that door work from the outside? Well, there's going to be a lot of different types of technicians. And I will say. you got to work on it. Is in, that beyond in, in, the, the, the scope of belief that you would actually have multiple not, entrances into this fucking okay. rocket in order to no, work no, on it? One that I'm, just I'm, allows it to be opened by anybody. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm Who the fuck's going to go underneath the I'm, fucking, I'm, I'm, <laughs> the fucking I'm, 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 rocket? Maybe not in this universe, but in, in real life here, no one's too worried about a carjacking in space. Like, no one. 
you're not really. They have worried. fucking pirates. No, I they know. have fucking pirates. I said in the. Okay, Woody Allen. They're not going to get to the fucking. They're not going to get inside of the they're base. And moon then, stop and then, people. But no, it's not. It's not the same thing. Okay. No. Okay. In this, Shut up. In this universe, yes, they they should be concerned about Bakhard Abi coming over and wanting to become the captain. But even then. <laughs> But even then, they're not going to just go under Tucson the fucking... Tucson has given us the, very Italian They're not going to go... Fist, they're not by which I mean his thumb is very peacefully fucking vents resting on his middle finger. look for the door. As you the other fingers surround You want to know why he did? Because them. he knew it was there. Because okay. he's worked on fucking rockets. Because uh-huh. he's a fucking astronaut. Okay. I was I was going to say, I'm actually with Tucson. Like, if there's anybody who knows how to get onto this ship, it's, it's probably It's not so him. much Thank that you, you don't know how yeah. to get onto the ship. It's the idea that a ship would even let that happen. What, what, we can get to the fucking moon, like, but we can't the, fucking figure out a child lock. Hey, come on, man. I was like, say, we're the, talking about the, the same people who, here? who sent people up for the, the fucking Challenger it. explosion. Oh, okay? it's, sometimes it's a it's comical image. Oh, I'm just okay. going to climb up this little ladder okay. and uh, whoop, here, <laughs> I'm in the spaceship. Especially when it's in a fucking sequence launch. Like, if it was somehow, like, not in an actual important part of, you know, the... I don't know, trajectory of fucking launching a rocket. They're literally counting down. You don't, like, why would it be good for a door to somehow have an actual mechanism that allows it to be open during a sequence launch? See, you know what's great about this is nobody really loves Tom Cruise's action stunts in Mission Impossible as much as you do, and yet you're getting caught up on this. Yeah, but this is a totally This is not a home. fucking action movie. No, it's not. This is an intellectual <laughs> drama. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's totally different gear. It is. Okay, but... All I'm saying is it's fucking comical. (laughs) Give me that. The image of someone literally climbing up a ladder to be like, Hello, can I be in your tree fort? (laughs) This is Doubtfire? Yes. Um, I Uh, I will say this. I will say that I'm going to slightly agree with you, only that in... uh, If it was during the launch sequence and he's able to like get on there without getting burned burned to death... Uh, like I it, see your yeah. contention, I understand, but I just like the thought that there wouldn't be a fucking door, another fucking door. Well, on I this, know why there are hatches in, in spaceships. I'm not a fucking idiot. I'm just saying, why do these things work in in times in which they should be in some way, like you know. I don't know, depowered or something. You know, you know, Nick, maybe it is sort of a blind side because nobody thought to think that somebody would go underneath the fucking, like... They have fucking space pirates! To go underneath the fucking rocket when it's about to fucking ignite! Who the fuck does that? All right, but let's go back to my man. original point where I think Brad Pitt's character is a horrible person. Okay. Because I genuinely think he murders that entire crew. Um, I'm sorry, you sneak into a rocket ship. Okay, so that's... Okay, I, I can understand, like... And you don't it, think that people are going to, quote-unquote, follow protocol? What was your thing? Did you think that they were going to, like, be like, you know what? You got through the hatch... You are now the captain of this ship. Like, what did he think was going to happen? So when he's like, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. Yeah, you did the moment you set foot in that fucking spaceship. Well, I don't think that he thought as far ahead that he would have to kill I'm just saying, he's a horrible person. I mean, he was just... He had to to see the mission through to its... He did, and so it's like, I understand it as a character motivation. Yeah. But... Boy, is that a! I don't think that I don't think it was a conscious like, choice where he tried. He was trading the lives of these people in order to meet his dad. I don't think it was. I don't think it went that far. I think it just like he wasn't thinking. 
He tried to go on there, and then you realize, see the way oh, he, shit. We see the way he coldly throws the body on the moon when he probably could have just shoved it into the passenger seat. No, I'm I'm, I'm with Nick on this. Yeah, he, I think he, he probably, look, he I'm probably, just saying, as he far probably, as, I do think he has a. I think he has sociopathic tendencies. Yeah. I think those those are very much apparent from just him talking about himself. Like, I don't care how fit you are. Um, thank you. Okay. Uh, oh, I thought you were er, saying er, that. To er, us. Early in this film, there is a line of dialogue that they mention that during the uh, time when he's falling off the scaffolding that's from space down to Earth, uh, that his pulse never goes above 43, which I believe yeah, they say sounds that a lot. impossible. Yeah. No matter what kind of weed you're on? No, he's just unperturbed by everything. So I think that also is an inclination of a sociopathic tendency. Absolutely, which is why I think he's a bad person. Like I don't think well, it means he's yeah. a bad character or yeah. anything like that. But I just literally feel like in that moment where you are free-falling from... I That I get, because I think he had a death wish, and I think that's the only reason why he took the mm, mission. And, free-falling know? from 140,000 feet in the air? I'm trying to say I'm not going he's... above 42 when the normal human heartbeat is 60. Okay, and we also can't fucking land on Mars. But the thing is, is I think, <laughs> I think that is I I I will stand my ground on the hatch <laughs> on the spaceship. But I genuinely think that was just supposed to be a fucking shorthand for the fact that he is suicidal in in, in some ways and whatnot okay. um, in, in the face of what he could or could not achieve. But I, I get what you mean. Yes, it's a technical impossibility. It's not like it's, but I, you know, so is Subway on the moon right now. Yeah, it still looked awesome. Sure I, thought it looked, I thought it looked great. By the way, I was just out in front of a Subway today. Just on a whim? Yeah. Well, no, there was a liquor store next to it. Uh, and there was nobody in that subway. So I'm hoping that they are having better business up on the moon. Hmm. Probably. I would think that it's a good possibility. Well, you know, the, with the scarcity of uh, <laughs> of resources, uh, they have There's probably a lot be. of work up there. Yeah, I love the idea of the moon. and I'm, I'm, uh, this, It's a like a 12-minute sequence in this film. But the, the idea of that just being a governless area where anything goes is just fascinating to me. I mean, we've seen those kind of arenas in many types of different yeah. media, whether it be film or in novels or any sort of other literature. But just... And how can you, like, you know, keep it under control and... I mean the the idea of of just having a non like it would you would think that the moon would just become its own sort of place at some point, but all these different countries and continents and cultures just at some point just all arriving there in just space being, race. Yeah, this is this is for everybody. So space race wars. Uh, also, too, that whatever that Apple series is that Joel Kinnaman is in, where Russia oh, yeah, wins yeah. the moon race. That doesn't look that good. I was, unf- I was disappointed to hear Joel Kinnaman was in it. <laughs> because I was actually on board when I heard the premise. Her name's Katana! Uh, yeah, he's not a good actor. Should we watch that one day? <laughs> uh, Suicide Squad? What? <laughs> you know, I'll watch anything DC these days, sadly. We reviewed that. No, I know. 
Okay. I didn't mean like should we watch it for the first time. Okay, I thought like it was one of those like it was so bad that you repress it out of your memory because I do that sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to do it, but I just realize, oh shit, I just locked that away. I'll watch that again. Yeah. We should do it. Nope. No what? You won't watch it again? (laughs) Nope. Okay. I'm good. I think it'll be interesting to revisit, especially when the uh, the new film comes out. I think I can just watch the new film. Okay. And, then for, and forget the other, that other thing existed. Did you? Oh, you did. Never mind. I was going to say, did you watch Aquaman? But yeah, you were all like, it's not very good. It's so silly. I didn't say that. That's like, what it sounded it's like. Literally, just like wow, that. fuck you, man. Uh, I, I thought it was okay. I just... I'm not going to talk about about superhero films right now. We're gonna we're gonna finish. Up, we're gonna close out no, that Astra. We, we will, but is ne- next year is going to be the first year where DC will have a larger offering than Marvel? Very interesting. What what For films do they have? They have Birds of Prey. Okay. They have Wonder Woman. All right. And they have one other release, I believe. Um, they're gonna do no. They have the Suicide Squad. That's not next year. That's not next year. No. Are you sure? Yeah, I think it was Cyborg. a third. I thought there was a third. There, I can't think of anything. But I, think Marvel, I think Marvel only has two offerings okay. next year. So, Did you hear, by the way, that the new Doctor Strange... In uh, the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, is going to be a, quote-unquote, the first Marvel horror film. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so is New Mutants. And look how well they're trying to hide that one. Where is it? Uh, it's on its, its sixth release date, I think. Yeah. And Damn, April of just next put year. it out. Nah, now, it's, it's I mean, funny shit, because... Even A24 released, like, uh, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah. You know, it's weird, though, because the guy who's directing the new Doctor Strange, he directed the movie Sinister, so it's like he actually... Oh. It's just like uh, David F. Sandberg, when he did Shazam, like, he does have horror roots. And actually, Shazam has some pretty gruesome moments in a way that you don't normally see in uh, superhero mainstream movies. But uh, I doubt... The MCU will actually do anything that's on the same level, and this is not like crazy, but like in Shazam, where the uh, board meeting goes fucking haywire and blood and guts are splayed. Across. I think they would in uh, something similar to that in Doctor Strange. I think it being actually like um, I guess they wouldn't do it with the same the type of like movie. volume level of like this is an actual jump scare. And I don't. I don't oh know. no, I could see it. Really? Yeah. Well, we'll see. I I don't. It, it's they also say they're gonna have a gay horror. character, and look, oh, it's one of the fucking directors saying, "Yeah, my boyfriend," and then Steve going, "Okay, thank you very much." Uh, we'll get back to you later. Uh, hi, I'm Captain America, and I'm helping you with your trauma. Like, that's not the fucking same thing at all. Um, no. No, no. Disney, no, it isn't. Disney doesn't really know how to handle that. <laughs> that was my little Mickey Mouse uh, whistle. Oh, okay. Anyway. Very good. So, Ad Astra, uh, yeah. I thought was actually a quite good film. Are you doing your final thought? I am. Okay. I yep. just wanted to make sure that's what we were That's where we're at right now. Okay. Uh, I actually thought Astra was quite good. And even though I have quarrels with the final scene and some of the pacing in the... Did you? Just... <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yep. It's it's. Uh, no, please. I'm good. No, I'm good. No, what? What? It sounded like. Okay, Tucson is no? waving me off, which means I can't. I shouldn't speak. Can you just like? Yeah. Uh, kind of now. Yeah. It sounded like quarrels, which sounds like Professor Quirrell from Harry Potter. 
Okay. It just said of coral. I thought it sent. I thought it sounded like. I was just like laughing because I was just corals. thinking of a Ray Fiennes turbaned, but like multiple faces of them. Okay. Anyway. I thought I like misspoke or something like no, that. No, you did not. No, no did it's not. just it sounded like quarrels, and then I thought oh, okay. of multiple Ray Fiennes, and I'm sorry, but that's comedy. Okay. It is pretty funny. Anyway, continue. So, I thought this was still pretty good, even if I uh, did not love some of the uh, choices in the uh, climactic scene between the two uh, father and son characters. Uh, that being said, this was a, a pretty good film, and I uh, quite enjoyed it. So, three and a half out of five for me for Ad Astra. I think that this was a very visually beautiful film. Um, that really the visuals, even though it's a space movie, it feels entirely after the fact because it's more of a focus on like Brad Pitt's character arc, which I enjoyed. And, uh, yeah. I enjoyed it, and I'd recommend it. i give it a 3 out of 5. I would give it a 2.5 out of 5. I think that's fair. Didn't quite work for me, that's but okay. it's certainly not bad. Yep. Okay. Very good. Would you say it was a... It was... <laughs> it was it this was is a, not your bag, it man. Was an, it was an okay film. <laughs> I just, just I just gave up halfway, and I was just like, yeah. there's no more puns. This is not your bag. Yeah. No. Two and a half Babadooks for me. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Digging up that old fucking thing. What, right. a, what a running gag. I want you to put that back where you found it. You know what? That's a good It's a good segue, though, because it's that time of year. <laughs> yeah, to be that's talking. why I did it. Oh, sure. Even though we did a review of the Babadook, I think, in like May of that year. Uh, we are going to talk about a couple horror films uh, coming up here uh, in the horror movie season as we are recording this, this current episode uh, in early October of 2019. And we're not quite sure exactly which film we're going to do at the end of October yet, uh, but we're planning to do a horror movie on our last episode when we're going to be recording it around Halloween. But coming up next week, uh, Toussaint's going to be out of town. So it'll just be myself and Nicholas oh, yeah. talking about the somewhat classic horror film, An American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Uh, you sound like you're from London. <laughs> Sorry. I just had to get that out. Ow! <laughs> uh, I've only seen this film the one time. Uh, our friend Kenny uh, showed it to me and said he was a huge fan of it, and I could see why. Kenny Ortega? <laughs> God, second time on this episode. Wow. Uh, and uh, this film does have a super iconic sequence in it, uh, but also has a lot of other really fun parts that I actually think Nick will quite enjoy. I was going to say, it's one of the few classic canon horror films that I've never seen before. And of those, I don't know every single one of them, but and I obviously have not seen most of them. This is a super rare occurrence where a classic horror film and also a horror film like this uh, that I have seen and Nick hasn't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we will both have seen it uh, when we meet up to talk about it on our next episode. And that'll be, uh, I think, a lot of fun because even though, uh, from what I remember, it's definitely not the best horror film and it's definitely not the best film of this genre, uh, it is definitely a film that I think has aged well since its release. So... That'll be coming up on episode 205. 
of this lovely podcast we like to have. Aww. So, from Tucson Egan, Nick Cheney. Per Aspera ad Astra. Okay, Nick. That's enough for now. <laughs> Myself, Alex Deakman. Thank you very much, as always, for joining us on Film Tank. Looking forward to talking with you next time. Yeah.